<laughs> Good morning, Twitter. I'm Saeed Jones. He, of course, is Isaac Fitzgerald. America, it is day 27 of the federal <laughs> government shutdown, and you are watching AM to DM. Let's talk about my president, your president, <laughs> yes. your president, Cardi B. Mommy! Okay, she... <laughs> this Instagram video of her talking about the government shutdown gave me life. Yeah, you and everybody else. Liv, let's take a quick look. This shit is crazy. Like, our, our country is in a hellhole right now. All for a fuck you all. Like, we really need to take this serious. We, I feel like we need to take some action. Yeah, man, she is shutting it down mm -hmm. about the shutdown. Okay. It is beautiful. Also, shout out to her hair and makeup. Her makeup was flawless. Yeah. Absolutely. That sky blue is a wonderful accent. But so were her facts. Yes, yes. I like that she did, like she literally fact checked. Like, I mean, you know, it's not new, Kanye, uh, that certain pop stars love to just wade into politics mm -hmm. and it's like, you don't read books and it shows. Mm, um, mm. Cardi reads up. Like, mm -hmm. she was like, okay, so if you want to talk about Obama shutdown, that was over healthcare. I think we can agree. You know, like, I was like, oh, life. She really brought it. Yeah. I also just love, we're talking about something, literally, shout out to the song Money, like mm. you were saying, uh, talking about how the lack of money, the lack of a paycheck can really affect people. And that's why her video captured so much for so many people. It makes it relatable, right? Everybody can relate to what it is to miss a paycheck. And it was amazing to me. She also, I loved it, posted it on Instagram. Somebody uploaded it to Twitter. Mm -hmm. She came on Twitter. She's like, why am I trending? Right. Over six million people have looked at the she, video. She's like, like, why am I trending? That's why, Cardi. That's <laughs> why. I, I love it. And I mean, as you said, like, everyone can identify with, you know, what it means to be living paycheck to paycheck. Mm -hmm. And if you can't, you're probably part of the problem. Mm. Hello. Mm. Well, let's take it to the timeline. Uh, what other policy issues, if any at all, would you like to see Cardi B tackle? Let us know using the hashtag money. <laughs> money. I'm going to strip a kick. I like, I like your dance. Strip like a kick for democracy. Yeah, very good. Yeah. What about you? What, what and the like? federal deficit. Obviously, this is what she's good at, man. She's good at money in, she's good at money out. I think we put the Cardi B in charge of the treasury. We get debt to zero. I absolutely love it. I, I'm, I'm laughing not at Cardi B, but because like she totally would be better than Mick Mulvaney. <laughs> oh, shit. Okay. Remember him posting that picture yeah, of him yeah. like with the money? I'm like, uh-huh, give her. What I about would, you? I would like it if she stuck with the shutdown. I mean, again, day 20, like this is, as she said, this is crazy. Mm -hmm. This is crazy. I would like it if she did a video every day just like hammering in. She has a huge social reach mm -hmm. and She's great at explaining politics to people who maybe don't feel they relate to when, you know, serious suited newscasters are discussing. Absolutely. I, I agree. I All agree. right. But here's the thing. The reach mm. of the shutdown is, is huge. Mm -hmm. And so, of course, we've been talking about the shutdown seemingly every day for three weeks, as is her <sighs> job. Mm -hmm. But it, this is really bad. We're going to the point that people might get to their second pay cycle without a paycheck. So the entire top of the show today on AM to DM is about the shutdown. And the ways that it can affect us, also it's gonna be the same when we go live to the district, totally. talk about who's trying to fix it. Mm -hmm. But here's a tweet from you, Saeed. Hello. A recovering addict told NPR's podcast 1A that since the shutdown has started, He's been getting 10 plus calls a day from telemarketers offering Oxycontin. Right now, he can't reach the government agency that would block these calls, and he's worried about his sobriety. Jesus. Scary. So again, we have this shutdown, but it has real implications for numerous crises that this country faces. Yeah, shout out to the podcast 1A from NPR. Listen this morning. I'll retweet the episode again. Um, there's something like 85% of government employees uh, work outside of D.C., 
right? So when we're thinking like, oh, it's just government bureaucrats, most of these people are working in federal parks, mm. your local social security office. So it was like wild. And another example, um, a woman who works for Customs and Border Security, uh, she's on maternity leave. And she's like, I can't afford there to be a government shutdown. My baby is due in three weeks. Yeah. Wow. Well, we also want to talk about how the government shutdown is impacting ongoing crises, right? Those other problems don't just stop. Uh, BuzzFeed News tweeted this. Deaths from cocaine and meth are surging, creating a fourth wave in the decades-long U.S. overdose crisis. BuzzFeed News science reporter Dan Vergano joins us now. Dan, good morning. Good morning, guys. Thanks so much for coming on the show. I want to start here. Why are deaths from cocaine and meth surging? Uh, it is the culmination of uh, two decades of uh, overdose deaths. This is, we're in the midst of an incredible epidemic uh, right now. 70,000 people, more than that, die in the U.S. every year from drug overdoses. And uh, it's built. First, there was a wave of painkillers, and then people turned to heroin, and then uh, fentanyl replaced heroin, uh, which is an even more potent you know, opioid. And now uh, there's a wave of uh, meth and cocaine, and basically what happened is the market has expanded. There's more coca being grown in Colombia, so cocaine is flooding the market, and uh, Mexican cartels, uh, drug organizations, are just uh, making meth now on an industrial scale instead of the sort of homebrewing of the uh, Breaking Bad days. It's now an industrial process, and so the meth is stronger. So you got more people taking stronger, more potent synthetic drugs, and so more people are dying. And it all adds up to this uh, incredible wave of deaths, which is you know, as we noted, uh, more than AIDS crisis, it's height. Yeah, and to this point, I wanted to talk about this quote. You say in the story, more than 70,000 people die each year of drug overdoses in the United States, and that is far more than are killed by car crashes, guns, uh, and as you noted, AIDS at the height of the crisis in the 90s. Um, for people like you, science reporters, or people in the field, is this, um, is this new development a surprise, given what we know about our country's drug policy? No, no, they warned us this was coming. We wrote a story six months ago about this. It's just the statistics have finally borne out what we were being warned about. Um, we've been warned about synthetic drugs being bad, you know, going back a long time. Um, what we have in this country is, a, you know, deeper problems that lead to drug use, and now the drugs are more deadly, so more people are dying. We've probably had, you know, a lot of people have used drugs for a long time. It's not new, right? Uh, we had a heroin crisis after Vietnam. Uh, it's just that uh, the stuff is stronger now. Fentanyl is, you know, 50 to 100 times stronger than heroin, and it's in all the heroin. It's like all over the place, especially on the East Coast. And so people are getting uh, more potent drugs, and they're overdosing and dying. And, and similarly, there's been reports of uh, fentanyl and cocaine and in meth and in other drugs, and that's leading to more deaths. And so you add it all up, and there's this, you know, Terrible epidemic of overdose deaths. It's uh, striking people everywhere, rural and, and urban. A terrible epidemic, and it's not just limited to opiates. You've got cocaine, you've got meth, fentanyl is kind of in everything. Mm. I want to ask, how is the shutdown affecting the agencies that are supposed to be dealing with this crisis and fighting back? So the, the biggest deal is in the White House. The Office of Drug Control Policy is 90% furloughed. Uh, these are the guys who are supposed to be coming up with a national strategy. They're about two years late on that uh, for dealing with all this. Um, the immediate response is that the agencies are, are still exempt. So doctors can still get exempted to, to uh, deliver uh, medication-assisted treatment to, to addicts. 
Um, you can still get uh, the CDC. If there's a big outbreak, they will still come and send a team. But the sort of routine things, the loans being approved to start an addiction center in a small town, uh, the grants to cities to fund more naloxone, uh, that sort of thing in, in their fire department, those aren't being processed. The HHS is the agency that has run this national emergency that uh, has been declared over the overdose crisis, and they're 50% furloughed. Wow. And, and, and to that point, um, I wanted to, I've been trying to wrap my mind around the ongoing, the long-term impact of this shutdown. So let's say tomorrow a deal is struck and the shutdown ends. Is everything fixed in terms of all of those little issues you just discussed? No, uh, we don't have a strategy. Uh, we have a bunch of different government agencies trying as hard as they can to work together, but not really doing it great. Uh, and the overall response is still too little. I mean, only, you know, somewhere like a quarter of the people who need addiction treatment can get it. We don't have rules that are sensible. We know what to do. Like if somebody overdoses and shows up at an emergency department, they need to go into drug treatment. And we don't do that. We just detox them and send them on their way. And then they overdose later and everybody wonders what happened. And everybody knows what's going to happen. But we don't provide for that. Uh, we don't provide drug treatment in prisons. We know to do that. Uh, we, we don't know to have the law enforcement people uh, talking to the hospital people. We should be doing that in every small town that has this. We don't do that, and it's because there's a lack of leadership on the federal and state level. And we really need the feds to push that. That's how things are done in this country. And that's stalled right now. Uh, and it's just been blossoming for 10 years, uh, and, and that won't be fixed. That needs to be fixed. And it's all coming to a head. I wanted to ask, Dan, to get kind of back to the personal, mm. what should active drug users be doing? You're always so good with knowledge. Uh, precautions. What, 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 what precautions should there be out there for, for, for people that are taking drugs? The first thing they should know, I'm not advocating anybody do this, of course, but, I mean, your dealer doesn't know what's in the drugs. So if they tell you it's good, then, you know, they don't know. Uh, and that seems clear from, like, your analysis and other drug testing that we've seen, that the users themselves have no idea often when they're, they're taking fentanyl. Um, you should realize that even though it's uncommon, there is a chance that you know, cocaine and meth has been spiked with fentanyl or isn't even the drug you've been told it is. Uh, so like you should take simple, cautious steps. If you can acquire fentanyl strips, which are simple testing, uh, they're like a pregnancy test, but for fentanyl, uh, use them. Uh, you should you know, use with a friend, uh, uh, use a buddy system. Um, there are uh, ways to sort of like, you know, just use a little at this to start with to make sure you're getting what you think you're getting. Uh, sort of harm reduction, it's called, steps that you can take um, to sort of just be smart. I mean, uh, it's a lie that people who take drugs want to, you know, don't care about their lives. They care. And you can take steps to actually be cautious. Just be aware that, you know, this is a real problem and a lot of people really are dying. Again, 70,000 people a year. Well, Dan, we always appreciate your intelligence, your expertise, and your candor. Thank you. Thanks, guys. All right, friends. Uh, here's a tweet from Hoarders Without Borders. Uh, if they can do a GoFundMe for a stupid wall, he tweeted, can we get one going for government employees missing rent payments? And here's the fun thing. That's not too far from what's happening. BuzzFeed News tweeted, over the last few weeks, people have raised more than $300,000 through about 1,500 GoFundMe campaigns to support workers impacted by the government shutdown. My goodness. Well, Buzz BuzzFeed News reporter Leticia Miranda, who wrote the story, joins us now. Good morning, Leticia. Hi. 
Good morning. Good morning. Okay, I mean, I, I feel like this has been an ongoing theme、um, of the last few years, where GoFundMe、um, becomes a resource to step in where you know other social safety nets no longer work. So, what are some stories you heard from federal employees and their families you spoke to about using GoFundMe now? Yeah. So、uh, they were. Pretty tough to 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 hear. A lot of people across the country are going through a really difficult time.、Um, I spoke with a few families who had set up、uh, GoFundMe campaigns、um, who are not receiving a paycheck as a result of the government shutdown,、um, simply because they have no other options.、Um, so I spoke with、uh, many people who have children,、um, people who have toddlers in daycare centers.、Um, People who had just made a really big move or had、uh, major house improvements、um, right before the shutdown happened,、um, and simply are running out of options.、Um, so it's it's pretty、uh, it's pretty difficult for a lot of families right now. Absolutely, one of the families you spoke with that stood out to me were were the Coils,、uh, and and Patrick and his daughter Katie.、Uh, they voted for Trump. What did they have to say? Yes. Yeah,、uh, so it was really interesting speaking with them.、Um, I spoke with Katie, whose father is a federal employee,、um, and he is a geologist. They both voted for Trump.、Um, she said that she was really、uh, sort of、um, persuaded、um, by his position as a business person. She felt like he would be really responsible with money、um, once he became president. Um, and she said that over the last、um, few weeks, that that has just completely shifted for her and her father.、Um, she said that she told me that you know this is not how a CEO would operate a company if they were at the head.、Um, that when they you know don't get their way, and in this case, not getting the funding to build a wall at the southern border. Um, that they simply fire all their workers or put up a big fight.、Um, she said that you know、um, it's not the behavior of the CEO of a company to put their workers at risk.、Mm, yeah. In、so. your piece, Leticia, it, it also becomes clear it's not just people turning to GoFundMe campaigns, but they're also turning to side gigs. And with that in mind, here's a tweet from BuzzFeed News San Francisco bureau chief Matt Honan. Federal workers are being recruited on social media to work for gig economy companies like Lyft, DoorDash, and Postmates during the government shutdown.、Oof. That seems super dystopian. What's the story there? Yeah. So,、um, so because people aren't getting a paycheck,、um, people are being、uh, targeted and recruited by some of these gig、um, companies that have many of which have. You know, sort of a sordid history in terms of how they treat their workers.、Um, so there have been people on Twitter、um, who have、uh, tweeted out sort of codes that are associated with their names、um, with guarantees, like you know,、uh, you'll get three hundred dollars after your first five hundred trips、um, or one hundred fifty trips.、Um, and a lot of these messages, I think, are.、Um, Are persuasive for some people.、Um, even some of the people who had GoFundMe campaigns, who I spoke to, were telling me that they were considering signing up with some of these、uh, some of these gig companies、um, because there weren't any options. But it is,、um, you know, it's it's a it's an it, kind of an interesting and yeah, possibly dystopian twist to this whole situation that. 
um, you know, as the government is is not providing paychecks, then you know, big companies are stepping in to say, "Hey, come work with us." Right. It, it sounds like a twist on uh, predatory lending, to be honest. Well, yes, uh, Leticia. As always, thank you so much for your reporting. Thank you. Okay, Twitter, let's get real for a minute and take it to the timeline. Get real now? Yeah, but I I mean, that's the thing. We're talking about other people's lives. Let's talk about our own as well. What would your life look like if you missed a pay cycle? What about two paychecks? Let us know using the hashtag AMToDiab. I'm just going to speak honestly. I know for a fact that I would be in deep shit. Yeah, I would be in deep shit if I missed one paycheck. Isn't there something like most people don't have like more than maybe $300 in their savings account? I mean, I was raised by a single mom um, and we were, I mean, paycheck to paycheck will be a generous way to describe how we were at times. Mm-hmm. So it's it's not uh, insignificant. Well, of course, friends, AM to DM is just getting started this morning. We're not done talking about the shutdown, mm-hmm. but also coming up, Adam Conover from Adam Ruins Everything is gonna join us for a very special fire tweets. We're excited about that. You like the show <laughs> and later in the show, Sarah Bareilles and Gavin Creel will be here. Waitress, yeah, I like it. We got a lot of guests today. Showcase. We ain't shut down at all. <laughs> but next, we're going live from the district. Stick around. Welcome back. We are going live from the district with BuzzFeed News politics reporter Nitty Prakash. Good morning, Nitty. Hello. Good morning. Hi. Nitty, let's start with this tweet from Hamza Shaban. I wonder if AOC will bring up these bold, authentic tweets in her Twitter tutorial for members of Congress scheduled for tomorrow. To which my first response is, <laughs> I thought that was a joke when I saw it on the timeline. Is AOC actually teaching a class on Twitter? This is actually a thing that's happening, yep. Mm-hmm. I, I, Wait, what is, what is it? When's it happening? <laughs> Do we know who's attending? I wanna go. <laughs> I honestly, <laughs> I think that they're only going to get in on this. I'm not sure exactly who's going to show up, but it's an open invite thing, I think, to the whole Democratic caucus, so we'll see. I just, I love it so much. <laughs> I wish I could be there in person. Well, um, Nidhi, the thing is, those tweets that Hamza was talking about um, were, of course, several senators debating whether or not they should retweet Cardi B's Instagram video about the shutdown and, like, debating it. Uh, what do you think? Because I saw people kind of debating. That a lot of people seem to think it was cheesy. It, I, it made me laugh. I won't lie. Uh, what did you think about it? <laughs> I mean, to me, it had a bit of a, like, hello, fellow kids kind of vibe, you know? Like, it's just a little bit like I wasn't really buying it kind of thing. Hanging with the youth. You, but, you, know, you, gotta, you, gotta, you gotta let them start somewhere. That's the whole point of class, right? You gotta let people make some mistakes, and then they'll get better at it. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I do hope, that's like, bad. C-SPAN or some. I hope somebody's making I a video of that. I want to be of in the that. room. Could you imagine when she's like, here's your login? Yeah. Here's your, like, I just love it, like, Nancy Pelosi, like, handing her phone to Anna Presley for like a workshop thing, <laughs> which I was going to do. Break all off into groups. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, let's get into it. Uh, here's a tweet from Paul yeah. McLeod. Uh, he said, so the president signed Tim Kaine's bill into law guaranteeing that unpaid workers get back pay when the shutdown ends. But it's actually much bigger than that. Kaine's bill changes the law so that workers will be guaranteed back pay in all future shutdowns, which is great. We're already recognizing that there will be more shutdowns. But here's my thing. Was back pay not guaranteed in the first place? So 
it's always been the practice that people get back pay at the end of you know situations like this. It's never happened that they haven't, uh, but there was no law explicitly guaranteeing it, um, which I think as things drag on is obviously going to be on people's minds. Mm. It feels a little bit like the bare minimum to me, but hey, at least it's a law. Got to feel good about that. Nitty, you've been speaking to a lot of TSA workers recently. Mm. What have they been saying? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's getting pretty dire for them, honestly. Like, I talked to people who were struggling to kind of, like, make their mortgage payments. A few of the people, a few of the union leaders who I spoke to yesterday, while I was on the phone with them, were at food pantries collecting food to hand out to their members. Wow. So it's really coming down to the wire for a lot of people. They were also promised a bonus, a $500 bonus that they were supposed to get on Monday or Tuesday. That has not shown up. So for a lot of people who were kind of, like, planning around that to have, like, some kind of extra income to be able to buy you know, even just like transport passes and food for their families and stuff that, I mean, it's just like this uncertainty on uncertainty kind of thing. And, and I'll just interject here as someone who, you know, taught high school and would occasionally have to get food for my students. Think about it. Air traffic controllers, TSA agents, hungry, mm -hmm. not able to concentrate while they're doing a very important job. Yeah, that's a big, big deal. Mm -hmm. Well, here's a tweet from MSNBC's Michael Del Moro that talks about how this might be affecting the Trump administration. Disastrous numbers for POTUS. We're seeing the first real signs of an erosion of his base, and we're just gonna hold this up here. Look at those numbers. You got down 7% among Republicans, down 7% among white evangelicals, and down 11% among white women without college degrees. It's wild. So Nitty, is it fair to say that the shutdown is starting to crack Trump's base? I mean, this is definitely not playing well for the president at this point. I mean, you could certainly say that at this point he's losing the battle of perception or image or whatever you want to call it. It's not going that great. Yeah, I was wondering if, it, if the White House administration is starting to, White House administration, if the administration is starting to feel a bit antsy uh, in response. I also wanted to ask about Mitch McConnell. Uh, I know <laughs> Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who we've been talking a lot this morning, did the like, where's Mitch video, but it does seem like he's been kind of silent. Mm. So like very early on, I remember like day one, day two of the shutdown, he very clearly went out there and was like, this is on the Dems. The Dems need to negotiate with the president. So I think from very early on, he's been setting this tone of just kind of like stepping back and being like, you guys sort this out. Yeah, yeah. And it's interesting. And let's talk about the Democrats, because I don't think they've been very shy. Um, here's a tweet from Congresswoman Ayanna Presley. Uh, the state of our union is that the occupant of the White House continues to act callously, manufacture crises, and hurt hardworking people. Do your job and open the government. And then we will let you make your little speech. Is Damn. that little that really Damn. sends me. Um, Nitty, sharp. Yeah, it is sharp. Uh, we touched on Nid, uh, Nancy Pelosi's letter to the president yesterday, but is there a precedent for a letter like this? I mean, so for about 100 years, a long time ago, there actually wasn't a delivered State of the Union speech. It was all in text. Uh, and then up until the 80s, it wasn't a yearly thing. So there is some precedent for it not being this kind of like big fanfare broadcast speech, I guess. Um, but a letter like this, this is, this is kind of new territory. Um, she does, Pelosi does have the power to not let the State of the Union address go ahead as Speaker of the House. Um, so this is her really kind of like putting her foot down and, you know, making a pretty bold move here. And I think that's a really important fact because yeah. I saw a lot of headlines not yesterday that yeah. was all about Nancy Pelosi is asking the president. It's like, no, mm -hmm. she can actually refuse that. He cannot come in without the permission. Mm -hmm. uh, so I just want to ask, has Trump given any response to this yet? Not yet, no. 
Haven't heard anything. Oh, right. That's can't wait. That's I mean that I, that seems <laughs> remarkable to me. I said it yesterday. I said it again. You know he's just gonna live tweet. All right. You know he's just gonna live. Right. Anyway, Nitty, as always, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. All right. Up next, uh, Isaac is We're going to keep ruining things. Adam from the Adam Ruins Everything is here. Let's just keep ruining A it. special fire Man. We're laughing to keep from shutting down. Yeah. Welcome back. This is a special edition of Fire Tweets. I am joined by comedian Adam Conover, the host of Adam Ruins Everything, who's going to help me go through some fire tweets. How you doing, I'm man? I'm very excited to be here. This is gonna be fun. I tried to make my hair as high as I possibly could, <laughs> but you're, you still came with the A game and you beat you're me. You're looking pretty good. I appreciate that. Good. You, I could appreciate go, you could go, to, I mean, just grow it out a little more on top. You could get up there. You think I could get it? Get, yeah. get a couple extra? I yeah. like that very much. Let me, listen, I'm gonna show you how to do fire tweets. Let's do it. We're gonna get into it. Here we go. Gina tweeted, I was at the salad bowl place and a guy was being super rude to the workers and another guy with a dog and a baby carrier strapped to his chest turns around and says, being an asshole won't make you taller. This is the most alive I've felt in a long time. Yes, yes. I gotta ask you, I, I wanted yeah, to just please. like get into like, you ruin things on a daily yeah. basis. Do you have any like, Baby stroller facts. I know you've got a big team that that, uh, that researches these things. No, we don't know anything specifically about baby strollers. Yeah. I mean, I dogs, know baby carriers. Uh, dogs. We did a whole segment on dogs and how uh, purebred dogs are way messed up and uh, they're they're fake and people should get mutts instead. Yeah. Everyone me, should get mutts. And let me tell you this: if your dog is small enough to fit in a baby carriage, that's a good sign that unless they're a puppy, that's a good sign <laughs> that your dog has some weird breeding going on. Okay. You know what I mean? That was beautiful. Yeah. That was beautiful you did all right so you hit Thank your you button much. okay i'll read do the tweet so i just i push this button yeah and then i read and then a tweet that's it baby this is incredible i love this button oh great <laughs> okay here we libya leader libya liberty tweeted my fifth grader just started talking about my dark friend at school and i was so upset i sat her down and i gently started to explain to her how bigotry manifests and she looked confused and then said mama i mean she's like a goth She's like into the dark music, you know yeah. what I'm saying? She's just dark. wearing the makeup. Yeah. Were you ever goth? Oh, no, but I had some, I had some friends. Uh, I had some, when I was in high school, I had some female friends with some uh, dark eyeliner. Yeah, yeah. And uh, they were very bewitching. Uh, but it wasn't for you? Uh, no, not for me, no, not what, for what me. Faces, what faces, what faces? I was like, I was like the nerd who got to hang out with the goths. It was like, <laughs> I, we were in the circle outside the, you know, outside the cafeteria, like during lunch. Uh, listening to like PJ Harvey albums, but you know, I was like, they like, okay, you're an outcast too. You can come hang out with us. You were I was not myself a goth. You were stoked when the goths let you sit at their table. Yeah, I mean, because you know, the the goth chicks were the coolest women in school. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Charlotte tweeted, "I was off the grid for like two hours tonight, and when I came back, Cardi B had won the 2020 election." Did you see this? Did you see the Cardi B video? I saw a I saw a little bit of it. I yeah. was like, and somebody interrupted me, but I saw it was great. It she was, was great. She was really good. Let she me. She was going. She was going into it. It's like you at first you're like, what's Cardi B got to say? And then you're like, she's got to say some good shit. Yeah, she was really yeah. on it. She was really she's on it. Of Let it. me ask you, do you have any feelings about the shutdown? Uh, it's very, it's very silly. It's the dumbest thing Trump's done. Wow. Because it's not, it's it's not even working for him. Mm. It's not, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's like it's going badly for just for him. It's going badly. Uh -huh, it's uh -huh. not benefiting him in any way. Yeah. So and it's benefiting and it's of course it's hurting 
hundreds of thousands of people, people yeah. all over the country. Who doesn't know, who doesn't have a government employee in their lives? Who, who like Who is being actively hurt by this? Absolutely. You know, who's getting hurt by it but his, but his base who live in rural counties who are being helped by the agricultural department, which is shut down. Yeah. It's, it's, and, it's, and, he, and he said it was his fault he, before he did it. So it's the worst uh, politics I've ever seen anybody do in my life. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that is something. Are you ready? Uh, and the policy is very bad as well. It's not just the politics. The policy is very bad as well. This is going to be our tweet of the day, which means we both hit it, and then I okay. want you to read it right there. All right, okay. you ready? Oh, the tweet of the day comes from me. <laughs> oh, my gosh. This is, well, this is an honor. Yeah, yeah. This well, is an honor. Congratulations. Okay, here's, here's what I tweet. I'm excited to find out what I tweeted. <laughs> Uh, wishing for a crossover between uh, Marie Kondo and Katamari Damasi, where she rolls all my clutter into a giant sticky ball and hurls it into space. Thank my you. My man, that was very well done. Let's get a come on, a round of applause for that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Are, are you a big, a big uh, gaming guy? I play a ton of video games. You yeah. can follow me on Twitch. I stream on Twitch. All right. And I, uh, yeah, I love video games. I, I, so I wanted to just ask you about the show. Here's the thing. I've watched every single episode of season one, season two. I think they, were they just recently brought up on Netflix? Was that? Yeah, was that well, the, we have 20 episodes on Netflix now. A little collection from our first two years is up there. And I, I watch them all and I absolutely Thank adore them. I wanted to ask, how do you choose what to ruin? I mean, at first, uh, especially those first couple episodes that are on Netflix, it was all stuff that I had stored up, right? Mm -hmm. Articles that I had read and podcasts I had listened to, books I had read, and just, I'm so, people need to know about this. <laughs> I gotta share the truth about like the purebred dog thing that had bothered me for years, mm -hmm. that people think that dogs come in breeds like their species that are found in nature, and they're not. We made them all up. We made that we, shit up. We made that shit up. We're terrible. We're, yeah, and, uh, and it's hurting a lot of dogs. In case of bulldogs, pugs, really extreme breeds, like that's very bad for them. Mm -hmm. Um, and mutts are actually natural dogs. I was like, I, people need to know. Um, and then, you know, as we did the show, you know, we did we do 12, 14, 16 episodes a year. We started running out of stuff that I was that eager about. You know, mm -hmm. I still have a couple every year that I'm like, this is this is what I really want to do. But we've got an incredible staff of uh, writers and researchers from all backgrounds on our show, and it's just open pitch process. Do so, you know how big? Like, how big is your research team? I've thought of that because yeah. listen, obviously you're a very smart guy, but you got you got to have people behind you. Yeah, it's gone up over. Years we have uh, five. This last year we have five uh, full-time comedy writers, five full-time staff researchers, and then a head writer and a head researcher and me. Um, I won't lie, that's actually smaller than I would have assumed. So good on you guys well, for you putting know, it all it's, together. It's true TV. You know, it's basic cable. You know what I mean? So <laughs> it's uh, you know on CNN they got more people or whatever. But but you know I mean we've got a really we've got a really like mighty team and it's really devoted people who really sweat the details. And you know my thing is what what did you guys learn recently? What did you folks learn recently that blew your mind mm -hmm. um, that you really 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 want to get across? And so it has that passion and. And if it makes us in the writer's room go, holy shit, is that true? Mm -hmm. Like when someone pitches something and that's the reaction that I have. Like an episode we had come out a couple weeks ago was about how um, uh, avocados mm -hmm. are, uh, uh, the avocado business is uh, the drug cartels in Mexico have gotten into the avocado business. As a result of US trade policy, mm -hmm. they started getting, they started like sort of, you know, putting their sort of boot down on the avocado farmers. Um, and so if you buy a Mexican grown avocado, which is the only way to get an avocado year round, you're indirectly supporting drug cartels, um, wow. which is, 
And there's really no, uh, you know, no one would tell you to stop buying the avocados because mm. the, the farmers still need, you know, support. But that's just one of the results of American trade policy. And when I learned that, I was like, are you kidding me? Like, I'm eating a burrito right now, and this is supporting, like... <laughs> and I paid an extra $1.25 for the avocado yeah. in this. And, and, like, what, a quarter of that goes to, like, the bad guys from Breaking Bad? Yeah. And our researcher was like, yeah, pretty pretty much. You and know? You, so you get to get out there, and you get to share all of that information, yep. which is so wonderful. I do have to say, though, I'm sure there are some people that don't love that you ruin everything. Oh, yeah. So before before I let you go, because this is just me just wondering things like, what are your mentions like sometimes? Like, does it ever get bad? You know, uh, uh, it's bad and good. You know, um, people, we really encourage folks to think critically about the show. We publish all of our sources on screen and on our on adamruinseverything.com. There's a link there for all of our sources. And the reason for that is we're not perfect. We don't get everything right. You know, we make 16 episodes a year. A couple mistakes get through there. Mm -hmm. And we want people to look at those sources and think critically about it. And so when people bring those to me with respect and say, hey, here's, hey, here's something you get, you know, you got wrong, I'll engage with it. You go look at my Twitter timeline right now and you'll see I was doing that all yesterday. Mm -hmm. um, and we've done segments where we corrected our own mistakes in the past. Now there are people who come at us with a lot of uh, rudeness or a mm. lot of, a lot of prejudice to be honest, mm -hmm. especially when we do topics that are about um, those sorts of issues, mm -hmm. you know, and so that's a little bit disheartening, but you know, I look at, uh, you know, I'm not a don't read the comments kind of person. I do read them, because mm -hmm. I mm -hmm. think it's important to know what people are thinking, mm -hmm. but I really focus on, you know, hey, even when we're doing a really divisive topic, hey, we've got four out of five people who are being like kind and thinking about it and being respectful and like, you know what I mean? And having a really good conversation. And having a good, and having a good conversation. And I'm always down to have that conversation. Yeah. But sometimes I'll see a YouTube response video where people like start with like, hey, everyone's everything, look at this fat piece of shit. And I'm like, okay, I'm not gonna. Yeah. Yeah, Literally, this, people you know what, will make fun of my weight before they get started. This you know? one's not going to be for me. I do yeah. want to say, though, I so admire how you put the facts up on the screen while you're doing it. I wish more Thank people you. did. Thank you so much for coming on the Thank show. Thank you for having Thank me. you so much for doing it. I love it. Everyone should check it out. If you don't know it, it's Adam Ruins Everything. It's Tuesday nights on True TV, and there's a bunch up on Netflix as well. Up next, Stephanie will be talking about all of your useless body parts. Stay tuned. Do you know anything about useless body parts? Uh, I not, mean, you got nothing but beautiful hair body parts. You. I got that going on. I don't on. know what my nipples are for. Oh, that's that's a good part. Useless body parts. That's I good. have my Here is a fascinating thread from Dorsa Amir, an evolutionary anthropologist. She tweeted. Did you know the human body is full of evolutionary leftovers that no longer serve a purpose? These are called vestigial structures, and they're fascinating. Well, I was fascinated by Dorsa's thread, and I'm so excited that she can join me now to talk more about it. Hey, Dorsa, how are you? Hi, how are you today? Very, very well. Okay, so obviously you're good at uh, anthropology. You're also very good at Twitter. So what inspired you to create this thread? You know, there are some moments where you learn something and you just think like, that's changed my view of the world in some important way. I love those moments. I've built my career on those moments. And I felt that when I first learned about vestigial structures. And so I thought, you know, maybe this is something other people will find interesting. And, and you know, it turned out that they did. Yeah, the last time I checked, over 11,000 people had retweeted it. So it definitely seems like people are super interested. And there was a lot of things in there that I had never heard of before. And one of the things that I thought was super cool was this tweet that you wrote. Put your hand on a flat surface and touch your pinky to your thumb. Do you see a raised band in your wrist? 
That there's a vestigial muscle called the palomaris longus. Probably butchered that. It used to help you move around the trees. About 14% of us don't even have this muscle anymore. So I gotta ask, do you have it? I actually have it. Yeah, I have it on both wrists. So I'm not that special. Yeah, so I checked and I have it too. And like, it's weird because you can kind of see it there. Oh, I'm very veiny. You can't really see it, but um, it's weird because I definitely had seen that muscle in my wrist before, but I had no idea um, that that was from climbing on trees. <laughs> did you have any idea before you heard of that? I actually did not. This is something I learned recently. So the band that you're seeing is actually the tendon that connects to the muscle. And this is just such a weird muscle. It turns out that among humans, it's a bit patchy. Some people have it, some people don't. And it's kind of the same with other primates who live on the ground. But primates that still are arboreal or live in the trees seem to have it. So it suggests that it maybe helped us swing around trees at some point in the evolutionary past. But ever since we stopped doing that, uh, we don't need it anymore. But we still kind of grow it and it's kind of there. So the next time I'm in the gym class, I should like try to hang from like the bar. I'm really bad at pull-ups. This is not, I, I, think, I think I should be able to swing from a tree better. So is this in line with what you study? What are you studying right now? Yeah, absolutely. So I am an evolutionary anthropologist, which means I am fascinated by our species, the story of how we got here, because we really are a remarkable species. So what I'm particularly interested in is how the environments that we live in now which have changed really radically and really drastically very quickly, uh, are different than the ones that we spent most of our evolutionary history in and what that means for how our bodies and our minds behave in the current environment. So are there cases of mismatch? That's really my bread and butter in research. Can you give us an example? That's so fascinating. Yeah, absolutely. So I think one of the most common examples is um, our preference for things that taste salty or taste fatty. So in a world where we were foraging and, you know, hunting and gathering foods, which was 99.99% of our time on this planet, uh, we were kind of incentivized through these positive feelings to eat those things because they were kind of rare. But now that we live in a world of supermarkets, those taste preferences are a little bit problematic, right? Because now we can just go to the market and get these in bulk. And there's a bit of a mismatch between the feeling of enjoying something that's fatty and the availability of fatty foods that are out in the world, which is one of the contribute, uh, contributing causes to things like obesity. What? That is yeah. crazy. I've never heard anything like that in my life. That I wish, I, cool. I, wish I could sit here and talk to you all day, Dorsa, but you have to promise me that you'll keep tweeting out these really cool facts and we can all follow Absolutely. you and get a lesson on evolutionary anthropology. Thank you so much for joining me today. Of course, thank you for having me. Of course. We're tweeting out her thread right now and let us know if you have any of the evolutionary leftovers that she mentioned using the hashtag AMCDM. I think when I checked, I had all of them. When you, we come back, you'll see my sit down with Sarah Bareilles and Gavin Creel from the Broadway musical Waitress. This is a sit down and I'm here with Sarah Bareilles and Gavin Creel who are currently starring in Waitress on Broadway. Guys, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for that banging theme song. Yeah. Oh, I mean, the theme song, I can't take credit for it, but it's pretty banging, right? It's hot. You yeah. guys can add it to the show. We're going to. Yeah. Just, 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 mix. That, that would be pretty exciting. I'd be pretty excited about that. Yeah. yeah. So you guys performed a few songs from Waitress together in London last fall, and now you guys are performing together. What does that feel like? New, fresh, fun. <laughs> 
<laughs> it's a toothpaste. Um, it is. It's so wonderful. I mean, we're like very close friends, obviously, and um, so it's a delight. And I started out as a fan of Gavin's, me and too. so um, love me. Love me. Love <laughs> he love loves himself. Love me. He loves great. his work. Um, <laughs> and we just had we. It's we've been looking for the right opportunity to get to do something together, and then. It's our third year of Waitress on Broadway, and so celebrating this big number three and our three productions. We have a tour, um, our London production, and our Broadway show. So we want to do something really big, and so me coming back into the show and bringing Gavin Creel, who is Broadway royalty, um, is you are okay. You are. Where, you left your crown in the. I did. I don't. Room, I, don't right? bring, I don't bring it along. Yeah, it intimidates people. <laughs> so Gavin, why did you want to become a part of this production? I've been a fan of the show since I first heard the music that Sarah wrote for the the adaptation and I I knew Diane Paulus so well and, and love and respect her. We've worked together a couple times in hair and, and a show up at ART called Prometheus Bound. And I just I just uh, f I, it's kind of like one of those shows that I've sort of been a, a st stalking fan from the side and I've, I saw I was at the opening night and I've seen it like eight times and you just know that this music needs to be sung and, and I wanted to be one of the people. I'm honored to get to be one of the people. Somewhere in the middle I'll have been a doctor for a minute and pass it on to Joy McIntyre is coming in next. Our first new kid. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, yeah, we're oh. very excited. <laughs> it's so exciting, but it's neat. It, it, it's a testament to the piece that you these um, amazing casts and the crew is amazing, the band is incredible and they've been most of them have been there from the beginning. Yeah. It's a testament to her and the music and the show. That's nice. Yeah. Thank you. I totally agree with you. The yeah. music is so incredible. I was I saw Waitress, I think it was last November and I was listening to the music for I think three months after that. Oh, just constantly. Sarah, how did you go about composing the music for a show like this? It seems like such a daunting task. It turns out it is. <laughs> um, you know, this was one of those things where it ju you just had to stay focused on the task right in front of you because looking at the mountain of work was absolutely overwhelming. So it just became this wonderful puzzle. Um, it made me uh, a newfound, deep believer in this kind of collaboration. I've always done a lot of, not that I haven't had collaborative relationships in my in my artistic life, um, but you know, as a songwriter, you tend to work on your own so much. But this theater, musical theater in particular mm. is so collaborative. You just nobody's doing anything on their own. So, you know, I would come up with uh, the beginning of an idea, and then you present it to the team. You get feedback. People, I, there was a show, I mean, there's a song in the show called I Didn't Plan It. That's the, our, the big sort of show-stopping number for our character, Becky, at the top of Act Two, that I was like, I don't think this is good. I don't, I don't think I did it right. And then they were like, no, absolutely, stay with it. I would have thrown that song out and, and tried to find something else, but I'm so glad I didn't. Because so are we. I, had to I love that song. I do, too. Oh, and, I, oh. and I had to just trust my teammates in that. So it was really a one-step-at-a-time at process and just trying to tell the story of these beautiful characters that Adrian Shelley created, you know, the filmmaker, writer of the film that we're adapting and um, kind of trust that we, if we stayed true to the material that it was going to kind of take take a life of its own. The show also has Broadway's first all-female creative team, which is so cool, although I will say, kind of lame that this is the first. It should have happened a long time ago. I know. Is it a different experience working with all women? 
I always say, so this wasn't a casting agenda. We were well into the life of the show when we sort of learned that fact about our team, which is part of what I feel the most proud of is that we're just people. We're just people who were at the top of our fields that got brought together and we were making this thing and it wasn't about, not that there's anything wrong with doing something that is all women, for women, by women, you know, I'm clearly a feminist and believe in that movement very deeply. But what my hope for our movement is that we get to the point where it's really not about gender at all. It's just about people who are, you know, beautiful artists in whatever way, shape, or form they take, and that we get beyond the, we always talk about it with, with friends, it's like, you would never describe it, you know, you get like an all-girl band or something, like, you don't, they're just people, they're musicians before they're women, you know, and so I think that's, that's a part of the conversation that, that deserves another layer of evolution. Um, but I feel really, I'm proud to have worked with all these wonderful people. And we made something I'm, I think is proving to sort of stand the test of time at this point, it's awesome. Gavin, so you won a Tony for your role in Hello Dolly, opposite Bette Midler. Mm. What was it like working with such a legend? She's incredible. I got to work with sort of three legends, Bette Midler and Bernadette Peters and Donna Murphy all in the role. and. Uh, but Bet, I was like a childhood freak for Bet. Yeah. Were you as well? Oh, yeah. I just loved. I mean, I, I could. I think I could recite every line and every song in Beaches from start to finish. Mm -hmm. um, but I, working with her, I think. I think you think you're going to get one thing with her, and then what you end up actually getting, she thinks she's going to be funny and raucous and wild, and she is the hardest working person I've ever met mm -hmm. in my life. She would read this entire script every single day before the show. Like by the end, I came in and it was like ratted, yellowed pages with like. She would make notes, and I thought, "Give it up! Like you got it. You've done it for a year. You won the tone. Like everybody, you're a mega." And that's the kind of student of of, mm. of the art that she is. She's never stopped working. The last week, she was like, "I got this idea." I think we can make this moment funnier. I was like, you're leaving. It's over. <laughs> I, I stopped thinking about what the heck I'm doing on stage like months ago. Sarah, you recently posted that you are so close to finishing a new album. Everyone wants new music from you. I know you're busy on Waitress. Yeah. yeah. Is new music coming out? Can you give yeah. us a hint? Yeah, no, new, yeah. I've been open about that. Yeah, record's done. It'll come out next year, or this year. I've been saying next year for the last few months. This year, um, here we go. This year, yeah. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be out early this year. And um, recorded it in uh, Los Angeles with T-Bone Burnett. And um, yeah, it's basically what the last couple of years have felt like being in the world. Um, and... Yeah, I haven't shared the title yet. It'll, it'll come out soon. This record for me is about big themes. And um, I think in the last five years of my life, I've really sort of deepened my relationship to my own, to activism and advocacy and wanting to talk about bigger themes than just my own heartbreak. Now there is some of that as well on the record, but I think, you know, as a, as a songwriter and an artist right now in the way the political climate feels and our sort of cultural evolution, I, you know, it feels important to talk about deeper subject matter. So that's what's on this record. I feel like that's how a lot of people are feeling right now. Yeah, and I think as an artist, I feel really lucky that I have an outlet to, to sort of put my feelings. It's really, it's an intense time. I feel really lucky to be alive. 
I'm just gonna tattle that I got, I didn't see, hear the final versions, but I heard like five or six demos in last year at uh -huh. some point. Yeah. And I spent most of my time just running around in my underwear going, <laughs> it's, it's <laughs> unbelievable. Can we roll that clip? Oh, me, me dancing in my underwear? <laughs> and we have that clip now. <laughs> no, oh God, no. <laughs> well, guys, thank you so much for coming on and talking about all this amazing stuff you have going on. You can see Sarah and Gavin in Waitress on Broadway until February 3rd. And up next, more AM to DM. Welcome back. BuzzFeed Global News reporter Rose Troop Buchanan tweeted this headline from her latest story. Twitter might save an asylum seeker's life, but it might also get them killed. Rose joins me now. Good morning, Rose. Good morning. Hi, how are you? Doing very well. Thank you so much for joining us and for writing the story, which centers around Rahaf Al-Kanun, an 18-year-old woman who is seeking asylum from Saudi Arabia. What was she fleeing from, Rose, and why was she stopped and threatened with deportation? So Rahaf was this young girl who claims to be fleeing because she had an allegedly incredibly abusive family. Um, she got herself on a flight en route to Australia, but when she was changing her flight in Thailand, she was stopped um, and her passport was taken away from her. The reason this all happened was because in Saudi Arabia, there are these laws called guardianship laws, which basically mean if you're a woman, you can't really do anything without the permission of a male guardian. So what Rahaf did was completely out of line and the kingdom acted quite swiftly to try and stop her and shut her down. Uh, but fortunately for her, she did still have her phone. So when she was, when her passport was taken away, she barricaded herself in a hotel room and, and just started tweeting essentially saying, help me, I'm in this situation, please get the word out. Yeah, so she started tweeting, she took it to the timeline. And I have to admit, I was seeing this story kind of as it played out. So how, yeah. how did people kind of come to rally around her on Twitter and how did that help her eventually get asylum in Canada? Yeah, I mean, it's a crazy, crazy story. So as I said, she started tweeting out on January 5th. And when she started, she had 24 followers. It, nothing, absolutely nothing. And she was tweeting in Arabic. But what happened was one of her tweets was noticed by a couple of big English-speaking accounts. And they started retweeting her and then translating her Arabic tweets into English. And so suddenly, exactly as you said, her story was kind of all over Twitter. People were retweeting it. They were really getting involved in, in her situation and kind of what was happening as she played out the situation. Um, and once it reached a kind of critical mass almost where she was getting thousands and thousands of retweets, uh, human rights activists in the area got involved. They started petitioning the UN. And after a few hours, UN officials were en route to the hotel room to try and negotiate and get her asylum claim kind of in like working basically so to jump her ahead of the queue almost um and it, i mean it was incredible to watch this unfold really online and to watch it actually work um and of course Kanun yeah. hopes that her story encourages other women uh but then this kind of is where your story enters because why might this method of live tweeting actually be deadly well, I mean, the thing that you always have to remember about this kind of situation is uh, this situation is highly unusual. Like, you know, yes, it's been everywhere over the past few days, but what you have to remember is she is one of potentially hundreds, if not thousands of refugees who are tweeting every single day and they're, they're not getting any airtime. You know, people aren't picking up their stories. 
And one of the reasons why she was picked up is she's young, she's really attractive, and she was so savvy about how she used Twitter. You know, she was putting out videos, she was putting out images, she was, she was showing the world as it played out. But a lot of the humanitarians who I spoke to said, while the, her case is great and it's a real cause for celebration, there's a serious danger that other young women who are trapped in Saudi Arabia and want to get out think, hey, this woman's done it, I'm going to do that. And, you know, there was a case in the last 24 hours of exactly that happening, where a young Saudi girl started tweeting and it didn't get picked up. And the latest reports, local reports say she's now been picked up by Saudi authorities. She's still in Saudi Arabia and she's been put in a women's refuge and her movement has been severely restricted. We don't know what's happening to her. But there is a serious danger to young women thinking that this is a way out, basically. All right. And Rose, are you are you following that story closely? Is that something that we might have updates on soon? I mean, hopefully. But the problem with Saudi Arabia is once the authorities come down on someone who is publicly discrediting the kingdom on a social media platform, they tend to disappear. So in 2017, there was another case of a young woman who did almost exactly what Rahaf did, um, but this time in the Philippines. And she was forcibly put back on a plane and she has now disappeared. Human Rights Watch has been following her case and the latest that they have about it is they have no word what has happened to this woman. So for journalists, it's really hard to keep up with where these women go, what happens to them. But yeah, I will be doing everything that I can to stay on top of that case and bring you any developments as they come. I really appreciate that, Rose. This is such a fascinating story. And of course, we have one that ended well, but there are so many other stories out there. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thank you. All right, listen, don't go away. Up next, Saeed is back on the set and we are gonna read some of your tweets. Hello. I didn't Hello. have a lot of show today. I was like walking around the office. Yeah. I got some snacks from the canteen. Yeah, was it delicious? It was really good. You and I, I follow Adam Conover now. Yeah, man. That dude's a delight. And he's he, knowledgeable. He made actually a great point about Trump shutdown. I hadn't thought about it. He was like, it's not working for Trump. Yeah, man. <laughs> I was trying to make a good like Trump ruins the something, Trump oh. ruins the government joke in the, in the moment. but Trump ruins everything? They, okay. Isn't that the name? You oh, said it. Okay. You said well, it. <laughs> Uh, we asked you what your life would look like if you missed a pay cycle or two, because again, day 27 of the shutdown. Diane says, ooh, okay, my kids would be having a tough time of it because I would have to live with them. Oh, listen. yeah, that's true. Okay? That's true. I mean, let's think about, I mean, we talk about like rent is like an outsized portion of so many people's like paycheck, especially in New York. Like, that's it. Like that. Joel Harris, my half brother, he has an apartment in, in, in the top of his house. That's where I would move into. Oh, my gosh. I'm just relieved you're not going to be like my couch. Portsmouth, New Hampshire. Yeah, your couch is going to be on the street, sir. You'd That's be true. out of a job, too. That's true. All right. That's true. We asked what evolutionary <laughs> leftovers do you have. Jazz says, I do have the wrist muscle. Yeah, I have that, too. I still climb trees, though. This could be why. I super do not climb trees, but I do have the wrist. You, you've got it? I was looking. Yeah. You've got the thing. A lot of physiology, a lot of body stuff on the show today. Uh, Adam Conover. He, he, he was like, I don't. I was like, any useless body parts? He's like, I don't really know what nipples are for. Shout out to Joe Lee who tweeted on the timeline. Oh, my nipples <laughs> have uses. 
I was like, that was a good fact check. Adam Conover was talking about how you're supposed to fact check while you're doing it. That was a good fact check, Joey. Yeah, I was like, talk to a queer person. We no, know why I, men have nipples. Okay. Anyway, thank you to all of our guests. That's what Joey was talking about. Thank you to our guest, Dan Bergano, Stephanie McNeil, Leticia Miranda, Adam Conover again. A delight. I can't wait to watch the show. I'm going to yeah, get into it. Absolutely. Nitty Precash, Sarah Perales, Gavin Creel, Dorsa Amir, and Rose Troop Buchanan. Hashtag straight men's nipples too. We will be back here tomorrow <laughs> at 10 a.m. Have a wonderful day. It will be Friday. Looking forward to it.